Okay, hi all, and welcome to another episode of On Purpose. I am Dr. John Duffy, and with me as always is the brilliant Chicago Tribune columnist, Heidi Stevens. Hi, Heidi, how are you? Hi, John, I'm good. How are you? I'm good, thanks. It's been, um, we're, we're busy. It's been a very busy week. We're actually in remote locations for the first time. I feel like we should tell people how we're doing this. It feels a little sci-fi. Yes. I mean, we're actually working via Skype. This is very, very new age stuff. This is like the hottest new technology that probably is only about <laughs> 20 years old. <laughs> and I mean, we asked it like just in time. It's true. Right. Exactly. I mean, and it only took me about just 22 minutes. Right. Right. Um, so um, we've really, both, like we're not even in the same county right now, are we? No, I, I'm actually in a slightly different county. I'm about a a, um, a few yards away from Cook County, so we're we're really really crossing some major boundaries here. Okay, yeah, I'm, impre- I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm impressed proud with of both it. of us. <laughs> even if we had to stop now, I would feel good. Same. Okay. I, I don't know how listeners would feel, but I would feel really good about it. Well, that's good. That's good. So you and I have both um, had the opportunity this week to watch uh, Leaving Neverland, um, this this documentary on um, Michael Jackson and um, the, uh, I guess we still call them alleged uh, victims. Um, and, uh, and I'm kind of curious just overall what your Im- impressions were of the four-hour documentary. Well, you know what? I'm going to, um, full disclosure here, I have not watched it. I have not watched the series. I have read um, chapter and verse about the series. Yeah. I watched my husband, the film critic, uh, who had to review it for the Tribune, watch <laughs> it and have to get up and pace the room and leave the room for you know a good 20-minute, half-hour stretch before he could come back and digest a little more. Um, I feel like I know quite a bit about the series, but I did not watch it. Um, what, what I have found interesting has been the conversations springing up around it, which are very different than the conversations when these allegations first rose up decades ago. I mean, this is not new to anyone that Michael Jackson is accused of these things. We just sort of, I think for a lot of years, looked the other way or held on to hope that the acquittal was fair and legit. And I guess he's just kind of a weird childlike guy who, um, you know, people are trying to get some money from or, or, or however we explained it away. Yeah. Um, we'll never really know. Ruth, in the uh, meantime, Billie Jean's a great song. I mean, I was doing that. I mean, I certainly was doing that. Um, and we're in a different place thanks to this HBO series, thanks to a cultural shift toward hearing victim stories, believing mm-hmm. victim stories, um, hearing from survivors in all sorts of instances. Um, he's not alive anymore. I mean, sort of all these things are coming together to change the conversation around Michael Jackson. And I don't know what I, I'm curious to hear what sort of conversations you're hearing, what I'm hearing a lot. And I think we've been doing this really since Harvey Weinstein 
um, is this debate over whether we can separate the art from the artist. Yeah. And can I still like Harvey Weinstein movies? Can I still like Woody Allen movies? Um, Can I still listen to R. Kelly's music? Can I still, all of these sort of, um, do I have permission to sort of questions? Mm -hmm. And what often happens in the context of those conversations, at least the ones that I've been in on, is, you know, somebody, somebody in the room always says, you know, inevitably, like, (laughs) well, you know, it's a slippery slope. So, you know, does somebody have to have, like, high moral character for me to like and enjoy and appreciate their art? You know, if I stop liking Michael Jackson, can I still like Hemingway? Can I still like... Jerry Lee Lewis, can I still like Picasso for Pete's sake? Like, where does it end? It, it, the conversations quickly go to where does it end? I've even had some people here. Um, I had a young guy, very thoughtful young guy, about 19 years old in here this week, say, you know, um, isn't this part of what being an artist is, is that you're aberrant. There's something different about you if you're brilliant in some way. Um, so aren't we inevitably going to run into this kind of dilemma? Maybe not this extreme, but something um, aberrant and bizarre in almost any celebrity that we, or, or artist rather, that we put on some pedestal. I think that's a really good observation. Mm-hmm. I think that's an incredibly intelligent and logical take on this. Agreed. Um, the... The place where I find myself, I don't even know if it's fair to call it drawing a line, but the place where I find myself sitting right now, where my moral compass is turned right now, is that I hear Michael Jackson's music now and R. Kelly's music now and, you know, honestly see... Harvey Weinstein's movies now and hear Louis C.K.'s comedy now. And I don't hear it as art that I should try to separate from the artist. I hear it now as a weapon because here's what happened. Michael Jackson would not have had access to those kids. He wouldn't have had the trust of those pliable parents. Um, he wouldn't have had the Neverland Ranch <laughs> right. um, without his fame, and he wouldn't have had his fame without his music. I mean, his his music very much lured these kids into his orbit. And if the allegations are true, that once these kids were in his orbit, he sexually abused them, I don't hear the music anymore as art. I hear the music as a weapon, a tool that he used to prey on kids. And so it's not so much for me, am I allowed to still like Billie Jean? Am I allowed to like Thriller? Should radio stations be banning his music? Mm -hmm. Should people be boarding his music? I don't, I'm not trying to tell anybody what to do. I'm just saying that for me, that feels different than, you know, are we going to go back through the history of humanity and decide, like, well, Wagner was an anti-Semite, or, right. you know, Picasso didn't treat his wives well, or, like, it feels different to me when the art itself led to the abuse of people, and, and 
frankly, especially children. I, I don't know. I don't know if it's the same. I'm just asking the question. I don't know if it's the same as a painter who harbored anti-Semitic views. Like, did right. his anti-Semitic views actually cause any Jewish people harm or cause them to perish versus, <clears throat> you know, listening to the music that actually lured kids into a life of trauma, again, if the allegations are true. That that feels different to me. I, I get it. Um, and I have to say, having... So I... I um... Uh, watched the the uh, Jackson documentary, and one of these young men um, came of age just uh, crazy about Michael Jackson. As you might guess, these guys came, they were seven or ten years old when Bad came out. So the, 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 it's not outlandish because there were hundreds of thousands of kids who are emulating Michael Jackson and trying to figure out the moonwalk and, and, and every move he made. But one of these guys um, really was trying to um, mirror his moves. Um, and, and there's some really disturbing footage of him on stage with, with Jackson himself, to, you know, kind of, the, and they're both kind of doing this side moonwalk. And, um, and you can see this kind of um, dissonant tension on the boy's face, even in real time, on stage in front of tens of thousands of people. Um, but I, I, I will admit that four hours into this thing, I hadn't thought of that question, whether the art itself was part of creating the culture in which he draws not only these boys into his orbit, but these entire families into feeling okay. like he's, he's home and we are so special um, and it feels so good to be invited that there, we're not going to ask any questions about it because, my God, Michael Jackson wants us at his ranch. He wants my son in his room. This is amazing. This is what, in the, what, what kid gets this opportunity? And without the music, there's no doubt that you're right. If he were just, you know, a guy from Michigan, you know, <laughs> or Indiana, rather, right. um, you know, the, this, this would not be an issue. So, you know, in, in a way, um, part of me knows that you're right, at least to an extent that, sure, without, without the music, this boy would never have heard of him. Um, nor would he have emulated him, nor would he have sought out his company. Um, and everybody might have had their, um, I want to say wits about them. They might have been calm enough to think this all through a little differently. But when you, when you take the most famous man on earth and you say, you know, like, he wants to hang out with your family. He wants you at his home. You know, like, the, it, you, you do... It's very hard to judge anybody in those scenarios, and you do start to see the music that way. All that said, I have to say, Heidi, like you, you, you said, um, Billie Jean's a good song, somewhere in there. And there's part of me that wants you to be wrong. Even as I sit here now, I'm thinking like, ooh, yeah, you know, like I never got to see him live. And I was telling somebody this a week ago before I knew this was coming up in my life that I was going to be watching this thing. I was saying, man, I really wish I had seen Prince live, but really the guy I missed was Michael Jackson uh, because, man, yeah. some of that music was so amazing. And, you know, um, and, I, and I'm upset at the idea, just like I was, if I'm being really honest, with Louis C.K., 
who I thought had a a bead on some you know, human reality that no, uh, no comedian before him had. And I find myself feeling so directly betrayed, (laughs) Um, taking it very personally by both of these men and several others, Weinstein in particular, when I look at like, you know, boy, you know, Goodwill Hunting, that's one of my favorite movies. I love that film. I don't, know if your husband would be happy with me for that or not, but I do. <laughs> um, and I yeah, you know, um, so uh, I, your, your question is a great one, and it's one I find myself incredibly resistant to. Well, I'll say this. I, you know, I ask the question knowing that it doesn't have a right or wrong answer. I also ask it to help myself find clarity as much as anyone. So I'm certainly not trying to direct anybody toward, you know, what they should and shouldn't abide or enjoy going forward. Um, I will say, though, I think it's an important one for us to grapple with, because as you know, you know, probably better than most people, this kind of abuse of children is not exclusive to Hollywood or entertainment. I mean, the, the, you know, the the abuse that happens within, you know, the Catholic church, um, or within the confines of, you know, kids schools, like the betrayed series that the tribune launched last summer revealed, um, you know, often the, the job, um, and the specialty that an adult has chosen and has, you know, sort of woven his or her way into um, is what gives them access to children and, and is what makes them trustworthy. Right. I mean, in the same way that those parents said, Michael Jackson wants, you know, our family to come to the Neverland Ranch. I mean, Michael Jackson was a known entity by then. I mean, that's another thing that makes him, unique versus, um, you know, like Justin Bieber invites, you know, your kid, you're like, who the hell is Justin Bieber? Right, right, right. But parents didn't grow up listening to him. These parents grew up listening to Michael Jackson the same way their kids were like, this guy had been around forever. Like he already had decades of music under his belt by the time their kids started liking him. Anyway, um, no, but your point's that, not lost. He, he had met royalty and presidents and, you know, p- part of what the, these parents were referencing because they, they were under a great deal of scrutiny, as you, obviously, and, um, and they were saying like, well, but, you know, he, he was good friends with, you know, Diana and, you know, and he, there, there's a picture of him with Reagan over here and, you know, every famous person on the play, he was in We Are the World and, you know, why would I ever think he was anything nefarious at all? Right. And, and that's, I guess what I'm trying to say is that I think a lot of us, you know, as, as parents and just as humans can be, um, kind of fooled into that same comfort level with our kids, coaches, with our kids, spiritual advisors, with our kids, teachers, with our kids, friends, parents at sleepovers. I mean, I'm not trying to say like, okay, now we know that the world is terrifying and awful and we should make sure our kids are scared every moment of their lives at all. I don't want that at all. I'm just saying, I think that 
if we're looking for larger lessons to take from all of this and, and, and long-term conversations to have after all of this sort of blows over, cause it will, you know, we'll have a totally different thing to be, you know, um, consumed by. Oh yes, we will. <laughs> Next week we will be not, we will not be lacking for something to talk about. I'm confident of that. Right. I mean, at this point, I'm like, Jesse Smollett, who was that guy again? And I mean, that was like everything like an hour ago. Anyway, um, if we're looking for, you know, takeaways that are somewhat productive from all of this, I do think, you know, we need to be honest and say like, okay, people, um, there are people who will prey on the less powerful um, and, and often those less powerful are children. And, and what do we do with that fact? Yeah. Um, I mean, turn a eye to it? No. I mean, keep listening to Michael Jackson's music. Okay. If you're comfortable doing that, I don't really have any judgment or, or, or shame to hand out about that. I, I truly don't. Right. Um, I also think like, okay, that shouldn't be the end of the conversation. Like, well, I've decided I'm okay with this music or, well, I've decided I can never listen to his music again. Okay. Chapter closed. Next chapter. Um, what are we, how are we talking to our kids about this? How are we talking to our partners about this who we're raising these kids with? If we don't have kids, how are we talking to our nieces and nephews about this? Or the kid, you know, who lives three houses down, who like swings by for, you know, sugar yeah you know yeah no I, one of our right I, th- I, th- I, come like, we make sure we don't take offense you know what i'm saying like mm-hmm. you got to use this awareness as you're going through the world well to your point a moment ago you know a week from now we're going to have something else to talk about and jesse smollett it took me a second right you know what i mean like i had to think about it for a second like right. oh yeah that was that story um and uh and so to, to the point you're making now, I think the, the key is to talk to our young people about this. You know, like this has been a topic in my therapy room all week, and it's really interesting to hear what, what young people are talking about it. And I think it's important to keep it in, um, it, there, there's so much distraction, but some of this stuff is worth lingering on for a moment. And... Um, Sometimes young people have really, really profound things to say about it. Um, so that talking to young people about this kind of thing is, uh, to me, uh, paramount and imperative, not just because we're watching out for their health and safety, but we're also kind of building a new, I think, a new cultural moral compass. I mean, you, you, you talk about the nature of all of this. And um, I'll, I'll share briefly this story. When I was in eighth grade, I was head altar boy at my parish, Mary Seat of Wisdom in Park Ridge. Thank you. <laughs> and, um, and and there was there was this odd there was this situation that that's absolutely bizarre in retrospect. But in the parishes around us, five boys who were eighth graders, fourteen year olds, were selected to stay overnight at the rectory, which Uh given, given the nature of the past 20 years seems like, you know, a jaw dropping proposition that you can't believe actually happened. I happened to be one of the five boys. And, Mm -hmm. and and I remember certain things about this. One is my parents were not 
cautious. They were overjoyed. You know, we were picked by the, you know, by the clergy. The priests want you there. How great is this? You know, like you are absolutely going and, you know, everybody, every kid's going to go. You're good. So that was never a question. The point was, did I grasp the degree to which I was, you know, important enough or a good Catholic enough to be invited? Yeah. 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 Um, and, you know, and, and I can tell you that I believe deep in my heart, having talked to the only the two surviving guys from that night, that we believe that something happened to a couple of guys that night. And we all wonder, like, how did we escape, you know, getting hurt, being victimized that, yeah. that night? You know, we, we all feel very fortunate, but that's only in retrospect. In real time, you know, I look at the parents in this film and I'm thinking like, oh, I know that they are being judged like mad in real time here. But those were my parents in a way. You know what I mean? Like they, and my parents were kind of following suit because the com- community supported this idea that, you know, this was an honor. Just like being with Michael Jackson felt like an honor. And I think it's important. I agree with you. I think it's an important discussion. And does the art or the work, like, you know, I'm thinking about like these Catholic priests, does the vocation... Is that part of the the seduction building and the the certainly the um, trust building of of somebody who is a pedophile, somebody who is going to inflict harm on another person? Exactly, and the other side of that coin is that the the trust and. Um, respect and almost reverence that parents and adults have for these, um, you know, fellow adults, whether it's the priest who invites the altar boys for the sleepover or Michael Jackson or, you know, whoever we happen to be talking about. The other side of that is that respect and, and reverence and gratitude makes it then harder for adults to believe kids when yeah. they do find the courage to come forward and say, Hey, this person hurt me. It makes it harder for the kids to find the courage to say it. And then it makes it harder for the kids who do find the courage to be believed. And I think that's all of a piece. I think all, I think that conversation needs to happen, whether you've just watched the Michael Jackson series or just read, you know, the latest news story about, the Catholic Church scandal. I mean, I, I, I or think R. It's Kelly, all... right? I mean, there's there's a lot of there there there's certainly are ample um, there's examples everywhere that we can that we can tap into here. Um, and I will say, like in in my therapy room, um, it's so important that we hear kids out because I I've worked with a number of people over the years, more in recent years, the last three or four, um, who recognize and are able to say in with some degree of ease in the therapy room this is what happened to me but the idea of talking to my parents my family um they may not believe me i might be ostracized i might be out you know this isn't going to work out i can't do it that that is a prevailing feeling and um that's something I, I feel like we need to do something about. We need to be able to open up the discussion broadly enough where if our children or a child we are familiar, affiliated with in some way, they need to be able to have our ear. 
And, and um, you know, I think I can say this fairly unequivocally. We need to be able to, we need to listen to them and to believe them. You know, like I, I have yet to come across somebody who is telling a story about being, you know, sexually abused as a child who was making that up. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I wonder if, um, do you have advice on how parents can proactively bring this topic up with their kids? It's God, it's got to be one of the hardest things to bring up in without any um, context around it. Although there's no shortage of context if you're willing to use the latest HBO series or news story. But I mean, how, how can parents sort of lay the groundwork for their kids coming to them with, you know, really uncomfortable, awful news? Yeah. Something happened to me, something happened friend, something I'm a little suspicious of, yep. you know, coach. So. Yeah, how, no, how that's a, that, that, it's a great question. And, um, and the, the handy thing and the awful thing is that the headlines that are out there right now, um, kids know them, kids, are, kids know what's going on. They know the R. Kelly story. They know this Michael Jackson story. They are aware that they're, that HBO is airing this thing. Because they have so much access to so much, they know the content of it. They know, you know, um, they don't have to sit and watch it to kind of have a real good feel for what's going on out there. So um, for our younger kids, I think most of us would love to be able to postpone the knowledge that people can be so awful to one another, that adults can be so awful to children. What that does give us as parents, though, is the breadth to bring it up and say, yeah. well, I assume you've heard about this, this Michael Jackson thing on HBO. Um, you know, are, are your friends talking about it? What's going on at school about it? Um, what do you think? You know, and just kind of broadly open up a discussion that it feels non-judgmental enough and open enough where if your child had something to say about he or she or somebody else they know, they feel like, okay, mom or dad, my audience here, this is a safe place to go. I can say the next thing. And I often encourage parents to um, end those conversations with something like, this doesn't have to be a closed-ended conversation. And if you've got something on your mind about this, you can talk about that anytime. You don't have to talk about that right now. You know what I mean? So if there's something mm-hmm. on your mind and you want to think about it, you you get to do that, you know, but just know that you've got an ear if you want it. Then I, I use the word available, and I overuse this word, Heidi, but you know, make yourself available to your kids. I yeah, I I love that, and I fall back on that. I know that's um, kind of almost your calling card, or at least it it was when I first got to know you, and I I fall back on that all the time, and I think. Um, in my imagination, anyway, the imagination where I'm the perfect mom, um, <laughs> I think it um, helps my kids too. It helps me parent them, and I think it helps them to hear because I'm careful to say, you know, like what's on your mind um, or anything on your mind. And then, you know, I, I do make sure because of your guidance to to throw in there often. Like, um, you know, you can you can always tell me later, or um, yep. you know, if you don't feel like talking now, um, come grab me when you're ready. 
Um, and I don't, I don't know that I would have known to do that without you po- pointing that out, a, a, you know, a few different times that we've talked. So I, I love that. I think that makes so much sense um, because it can feel overwhelming. I imagine as a kid to hear like, okay, oh great, my parents bringing up, you know, the news <laughs> and yep. then making it about me, and now it's my turn to talk. And like maybe they just need, you know, to hear what you say, and then an hour or a day or a week later, they're ready to have what they have to say heard. And you're right, Heidi. There is this kind of like um, with some kids, there's this kind of terror, like, oh no, they're onto me. They're they're circling this, and I'm going to have to say it right now. And to have yep. the permission, like, oh, you don't, ha- I don't have to say it right now. I can sit on this. Gives kids great relief, and um, uh, it, it circles back to a thought I've been having somehow throughout this conversation. Um, if at times like this, when headlines like this show up, if your child comes to you and brings it up, um, I would take that not as a cue that something terrible has happened to your child but that there's something on their mind about it that they want to talk about. So to the extent mm-hmm. that you can, you know, bite your tongue a little bit and not offer too much uh, explanation or too much of your own opinion, but really to let them muse about like, you know, as well, what, what do you think of it? You know, um, that, kids are, first of all, very thoughtful and they might come up with something you didn't think of, which is really interesting when that happens. Um, but at the very least, they know like, okay, I can, this is a great place to air it out. I can air it out with my friends maybe, but maybe not. I don't know if, feel, if I feel comfortable with the teacher, the school social worker. I don't really know, but I need to know I can talk to mom or dad about it. Yeah. 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 They're, they're a safe place. I can go with this. Yeah. 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 Um, there, there um, are... There, there are a couple elements of this that we, we don't have time for today, but we should touch on sometime. One is everybody we've talked about who's been a perpetrator of something awful today has been a man. And that's mm. not lost on me. <laughs> um, and yeah. there's significance to that that um, I suspect you and I should probably touch on at some point. I would like to, and I I would add, um, so we don't forget to touch on this angle when we do talk about it, that I suspect um, a significant number of the men who we're talking about who've abused others were, in fact, themselves abused, which is certainly not an excuse, and certainly plenty of people are abused as children and go through life never abusing anyone. Correct. Um, yep. But I do think it's an important thing to talk about because I, I think also that is um, one of those things that pre <clears throat> me too, pre hearing survivor victim stories, we thought of as this like creepy, super rare occurrence that like, um, you know, we certainly didn't know anyone it happened to, or like maybe right. one or two people in a room would know someone that happened to, or, or had that happen to them. But I think um, it probably happens more than most people assume. And um, a lot of people are walking around hurt and needing help healing. And, um, and you know, we're nowhere near understanding, I think, the magnitude of, of all of that. I think you're right. I, I know that you're right about that. And I can assure you that this all happens far more than we think. Um, 
outside of families and um, awfully within families as well, um, which is, you know, a whole different level of a breach of trust um, that is very, very difficult to get through. I've, I don't remember yeah. ever working with anybody um, who had perpetrated this kind of a crime against a child to whom that hadn't happened. So to your point, I, I, I agree. Not that that's an excuse, um, but uh, it might be a cue about how to stem the tide going forward. I think so. Yeah. 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 Um, pretty, pretty awful, difficult stuff, but I'm, I'm glad that we, we had a moment to talk about it um, through, our, through our super fancy technology. Um, That's right. Yeah. <laughs> More <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, I feel inclined to mention one thing before we finish, if, if you're okay with it. Uh, you wrote yeah. about um, uh, Lollapalooza for parents this week. Um, and some people are going to be able to and hear you're one that. of the uh, it's uh, it's really uh, Glennon Doyle, Abby Wambach, and I, and some other speakers, um, and right. they they keep hounding me for you know photo ops and things. And I'm trying to put them off the two of them because <laughs> I can't. I'm just I'm out of my mind excited to meet the two of them, and um, so uh, I think they're two of your favorite people. They're certainly two of mine, and they're going to be there on Saturday morning at the Zen Parenting Conference. Uh, along with um, somebody we have talked about on this podcast more than once, De uh, Deborah Heitner, who wrote Screenwise, who I know yep. you are close with, and um, yep. and one of my favorite uh, authors about um, raising teenagers, actually raising adults, uh, Julie Lithcott uh, Hames. So if if, uh, yep. if you're hearing this in time and you have access to Lombard, Illinois. Uh, my strong bias would be to head out to the Zen Parenting Conference, and uh, and I think it's going to be a, a special weekend. It usually is. Totally. Yes. Yep. I think it sounds yeah. um, yep. So always and good I to talk that. with you. Yeah, you too. I think we should say our email addresses because a couple people have reached out and said, <laughs> like, hey, say your email on the podcast because I have ideas. And a couple people have sent us ideas, which is fun. Yeah, we'll so awesome. So before we sign off, I'm going to say email me at hstevens at chicagotribune.com. Okay. And, um, and I'm going to say email me at johngduffy at drjohnduffy.com while my Gmail is uh, under construction because I'm way ahead of the Perfect. game here, technology-wise. <laughs> <laughs> the technology is just zooming past us. <laughs> Okay, so this is on purpose for this week. Heidi, it's always awesome to talk with you, and I'm looking forward to talking to you again about whatever happens in the next seven days next week. Yep, me too. All right, thanks for listening, guys. Thanks, guys. <laughs>